Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Warning. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. Welcome, my sexy friends. Tonight on Slip Into the Fray, we will be hanging out for part two of the seven deadly sins. Last week, we talked about pride, greed, lust, and gluttony. And tonight, we'll be exploring envy, wrath, and sloth. The lesser of my deadly sins, but still lots of fun to dig into here on Pacific Northwest Radio. So, if you feel like getting up and rocking out, do whatever you want. I love it. You can feel free, because we want to know what you're doing. So make sure you log in and give us an email, or come to our Facebook page. If you feel like dancing, dance. Feel like getting wasted, fuck yeah. Feel like getting it on, do it. It's Thursday night, you're alone, you know. This show can be your dirty little secret if you want it to be, or you can share it with your friends. Whatever you want it to be. But for God's sakes, make sure the kids are in bed. For the next hour, I say what I want to say and I play what I want to play. If you're easily offended by sex talk, fuck off. You better turn it off right now. But if you're open and ready to have some fun, sit back, crank the tunes, and let's turn each other on. Sing the 
Welcome to the show. Hey, it's Lyric here from the rock band Head out of Vancouver, and this is Slip Into the Fray on Pacific Northwest Radio. I want to welcome everybody to listening tonight, and of course, say hey, fingers. Hey, fingers. Ah, how are you doing? Good. Good. You're looking good. <laughs> I brought you. I brought you. Um, I don't even know what it's called. You wanted a fajita. Is that what you asked for tonight? I thought enchilada night. Enchilada night. I don't even know what an enchilada is. And there wasn't a Mexican restaurant, so I stopped by and grabbed you a kind of a sub-like thing. Maybe we should have a show on enchiladas. I think we will. <laughs> So tonight is part two of our Seven Deadly Sins show. Last week was fun. We chatted about some of my favorite said Seven Deadly Sins, pride, greed, lust, and gluttony. Uh, we learned a few interesting things, that's for sure. And soon we'll have the shows on podcasts. So if you miss a show, you'll be able to swing back and listen to it later. So that'll be cool. We'll let you know when that happens. Um, there's some of our listeners that actually say they haven't missed a show yet. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Mm-hmm. My Chemical Romance kicked off the show with House of Wolves. And even though the song isn't specifically about envy, wrath, and sloth, it sets the tone for sinning, which is a lot of what we do some of the time. Some of us more than that. But um, House of Wolves is from The Black Parade, the third studio album by My Chemical Romance. It was released October 2006 through Reprise Records, and it was produced by Rob Cavallo. And he's known for having produced multiple albums for Goo Goo Dolls and Green Day. So big guy. Uh, the Black Parade is actually a rock opera, and it's centering around the character of the patient. And it's about his passage out of life and the memories he has in his life. The patient dies and death comes for him in the form of a parade. And this is based upon Jared Way's notion of death appearing to a person in the form of their fondest memory, in this case seeing a parade as a child. So that's kind of a cool concept. The album also saw the creation of the alter ego band, The Black Parade. The intention was to make something that was classic, something timeless, explained guitarist Ray Toro. Something that 20 or 30 years from now, parents could play for their kids and say, this is what I was listening to when I was your age. Check it out, it's still pretty fucking cool. We wanted to make a record you could pass down. There's a lot of music out there that doesn't feel like that. Well, I think I'm going to burn in hell. Everybody burn the house right down. Tell me I'm an angel. Take this to my grave. Tell me I'm a bad man. Kick me like a stray. Tell me I'm an angel. Take this to my grave. S-I-N-I-S-I-N. <laughs> I love this band. So if that's got you into the mood right now, let's start digging into tonight's show. As we turn in envy, I learn through sorrow. I turn in envy and go to the wall. Before I burn with envy, I learn through sorrow. I burn with envy and go to the wall. Time to turn it up loud and listen to Chevelle with their song Envy here on Pacific Northwest Radio. Do you know why I am bald? <laughs> why are you bald? Because my hair burned off in hell. <laughs> Woo! Oh 
Welcome back, sexy people. This is Lyric, and tonight on Slippin' of the Fray, this is part two of The Seven Deadly Sins. Tonight, we're talking about envy, sloth, and wrath. We're going to have some fun later with a quiz, yay! And Rant of the Week is coming up as well, and getting to some emails that rolled in this week. So right now, let's talk about Envy. Envy is off Hats Off to the Bull and is the sixth studio album by the American rock band Chevelle, released December 2011, and it sold 240,000 copies in the U.S. Pete Loeffler, when talking about the album in an interview with Artist Direct, cited his difficulty when writing, saying he read a lot of books and went on to cite Billy Corrigan of the Smashing Pumpkins as an example of getting away from music when hitting a wall, quoted saying, I'm constantly rewriting them and trying not to rhyme too much. 
He also stated that the song Clones touches on the criticism that the band sounded too much like the band Tool, but going on to say it's about getting shit from peers and people saying that you're ripping someone else off, and that the song goes back to his youth as well as one other track. I loved reading this as an animal lover and a vegetarian. The album's title comes from Pete's disgust at bullfighting. He explains, it's such a heartless sport and it's so torturous for these animals. We got the idea of rooting for the bull instead. We root for the underdog. As we turn in envy, I learn through sorrow, I turn in envy and go to the wall. And before I burn with envy, I learn through sorrow, I burn with envy and go to the wall. Envy. It's a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Desire to have a quality, possession, or other desirable attribute belonging to someone else. I'm not religious, but it's interesting reading in how the church looks at these deadly sins. And in the book of Genesis, envy is said to be the motivation behind Cain murdering his brother Abel, as Cain envied Abel because of God's favored Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. So um, I think that was my favorite story in the Bible. And like I said, I'm not religious, but, you know, it's kind of interesting how that whole thing happened. I'm going to kill you, bro. Killed him. Killed that brother. So envy is a sin of flesh. Envy is among the things that comes from the heart defiling a person. The whole body is full of darkness when the eye, the lamp of body, is bad. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished, said Solomon. Envy ruins the body's health, making bones rot and prohibiting the inheritance of the kingdom of God. So for those vying for the man's attention upstairs and affection... Ixnay on the envy say. Envy from Latin invidia is an emotion which occurs when a person lacks another's superior quality, achievement, or possession and either desires it or wishes that the other lacked it. Very interesting. Set of envy, it's one of the most potent causes of unhappiness. Not only is the envious person rendered unhappy by his or her envy, but that person also inflicts misfortune on others. That's not very nice. Although envy is generally seen as something negative, it's believed that envy was a driving force behind the movement towards democracy and must be endured to achieve a more just social system. However, psychologists have recently suggested that there may be two types of envy, malicious envy and benign envy. So malicious envy being proposed as a sick force that ruins a person and his or her mind and causes the envious person to blindly want the hero to suffer. On the other hand, benign envy being proposed as a type of positive motivational force that causes the person to aspire to be as good as the hero, but only if benign envy is used in the right way. Recent studies have demonstrated that inciting envy actually changes cognitive function boosting mental persistence and memory. Often envy involves a motive to outdo or undo the rival's advantages. In part, this type of envy may be based on materialistic possessions rather than psychological states. Basically, people find themselves experiencing an overwhelming emotion due to someone else owning or possessing shit they don't. Do you ever get that? The envy thing? No. (laughs) 
That was a really fast answer. So, for example, the musician you know that doesn't have too much experience but always wanted to be a musician and decides to start a rock band, and they have lots of disposable income so they can afford the things to accelerate their career, recording, reproduction, you know, buying Facebook likes. Okay, so one day the band has 100 likes and the next day 10,000. It's a little bit fishy. Yeah. And all that shit needs to get done, but it takes lots of money and time. But that person kind of jumps ahead of you because they've got money to make it happen so I have had those feelings of envy because yeah. after working relentlessly in the industry for all those years yeah. giving your blood sweat and tears and someone just walks in waving the Benjamins and bam they get what they should have yeah I feel that burn jealousy resentment bitterness green-eyed monster whatever you want to call it everybody feels tinges of it from time to time we're only human I'm yeah. just a human being after all. So envy may negatively affect the closeness and satisfaction of relationships. Overcoming envy may be similar to dealing with other negative emotions, so anger, resentment, etc. Individuals experiencing anger often seek professional treatment. But that money can't buy people's heart to put into your work. It can't buy the heart. No, they'll just do it, stamp it, and push it on. And through. push it on, and yeah. just, and it's not, it's not real. Yeah. You know, it's just they see something that they think they want and they use that money to get to that place. But then they I don't think they can sustain. That's the thing the, the public will finally <clears throat> get it. They can't because it's a big world and there's lots of really talented people. Yeah. And don't need money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Subjects experiencing envy often have a skewed perception on how to achieve true happiness. By helping people to change these perceptions, they will be more able to understand the real meaning of fortune and satisfaction with what they do have. So individuals with narcissistic personality disorder are often envious of others or believe others are envious of them. And we know the hugest narcissist right now that just got elected to be president of the USA. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. So a narcissist may secure a sense of superiority in the face of another person's ability by using contempt to minimize the other person, which, you know, we've seen lots of people that we consider narcissists doing that. Yeah. It's no fun to feel envy or jealousy because it makes you feel inadequate. Envy is when you want what someone else has, but jealousy is when you're worried someone's trying to take what you have. If you want your neighbor's new convertible, you feel envy. If she takes your husband for a ride, well, you feel jealousy. <laughs> it's like, you get out of that car! <laughs> Fucker, what are you doing with my husband? <laughs> so envy requires two parties, like you and that neighbor. When you want her new car and you wish you were the one riding around with the top down, you feel envy when you want something someone else has. Jealousy requires three parties, like you, your neighbor, and your husband. When not only do you wish you had that cool car, but you're worried your husband is going to ride off in the sunset in it without you, with the fucking bitch neighbor. <laughs> Jealousy is exciting because it shows up in Lover's Triangles and Shakespeare's plays. Lover's Triangles. Hmm. Let's think about that for a minute. The term love triangle generally connotes an arrangement unsuitable to one or more of the people involved. One person typically ends up feeling betrayed at some point. Similar arrangement that is agreed upon by parties is sometimes called a triad, which is a type of polyamory, even though polyamory usually implies sexual relations. 
Within the context of monogamy, love triangles are inherently unstable, with unrequited love and jealousy as common themes. Though rare, love triangles have been known to lead to murder or suicide committed by the actual or perceived rejected lover. And I wish I could remember the name of this movie I watched years ago. It was really fucking hot. So there's this couple that befriended an Asian woman, and she first seduces the wife and then the husband. And the couple both fall madly in love with her, neither of them knowing, you know, what's going on. And there's a scene somewhere down the road with the three of them in bed together, but the wife has actually been drugged. And so all she can do is lie there and watch the woman fucking her husband. And then this Asian woman does the same thing a little while later. The husband drugs him and he lies there watching her and the wife fucking at the end. And, you know, the very end of the movie, I think she kills them both. I can't really remember. If anybody knows the movie, you know, write in and let me know because it was so hot and it was so long ago. Maybe now I watch it after all the experience and I'll be like, yeah, whatever. But it wasn't a porno. It was an actual movie. No idea. Anyways, if anybody knows it, um, let me know because I'd love to watch it. So I have a friend that was interested in exploring a polyamorous relationship but found that it wasn't something she could be involved in. Do you know anything about polyamorous relationships? I picture two people wrapped in plastic. (laughs) Naked wrapped in plastic. I like that. Wrapped in poly. Wrapped in poly. Okay, that's got to be on a show. (laughs) Get out the saran wrap fingers. Polyamorous can refer to the nature of a person's relationships at some point in time or to a philosophy. So although sometimes misperceived as a relationship orientation, much like gender or sexual orientation, it is not. The orientation that draws people toward the practice of polyamory is non-monogamy. Polyamory is sometimes used in a broader sense as an umbrella term that covers various forms of multiple relationships or forms of sexual or romantic relationships that are not sexually exclusive. So polyamorous arrangements are varied, reflecting the choices and philosophies of the individuals involved, though there is a disagreement on how broadly the concept of polyamory applies. The cornerstone for polyamorous practice is honest and mutually respectful dealings within a multitude network, emotionally meaningful, romantic relationships. An emphasis on ethics, honesty, and transparency all around is widely regarded as the crucial defining characteristic. And as of July 2009, it was estimated that more than 500,000 polyamorous relationships existed in the USA alone. So that's pretty crazy. So people who identify as polyamorous typically reject the view that sexual and relational exclusivity are necessary for deep, committed, long-term loving relationships. Those who are open to or emotionally suited for polyamory may embark on a polyamorous relationship when single or already in a monogamous or open relationship. Sex is not necessarily a primary focus on polyamorous relationships, which commonly consist of people seeking to build long-term relationships with more than one person on mutually agreeable grounds, with sex as only one aspect of their relationships. In practice, polyamorous relationships are highly varied and individualized according to those participating. For many, such relationships are ideally built upon values of trust, loyalty, the negotiation of boundaries, as well as overcoming jealousy. Mm Mm-hmm. That would be tough. 
I don't know if I could do it. So I, in talking to my friend about it, she basically uh, was seeing a girl who is uh, polyamorous and this woman had somebody else in the States that she was also seeing. And she wanted, the woman that had the both girls wanted them all to be friends. And so it's kind of bizarre. Like, it's like, hey, let's go out for coffee. Okay, you're sleeping with her tonight. Okay, it's not like it was a threesome at all. It's, they all had individual relationships with this one person. I kind of think that's just greedy. So how did we get from envy to polyamorous fingers? I, I don't, don't, I'm not even done with envy yet. So I want to talk about penis envy. <laughs> of course I would. How most people perceive penis envy. When you ask regular people what penis envy is, most of them will probably answer that penis envy is when a man gets jealous of another man's penis. You know, that sounds like it. This can happen when a guy watches porn. You know, he's watching the guy with the 14-inch long, and he's going, whoa, I wish my dick was bigger. I wouldn't want a 14-inch <laughs> thing like that. Sometimes he's undressing in a locker room, and it also says, or goes streaking with his buddies after a night out. I didn't know guys would have penis envy. Guys have penis envy. I thought they it do. was lesbians that had it. Well... Those are just some instances of men having penis envy, right? And it doesn't happen to every man, but it has a higher chance of happening to guys who have low self-esteem and to those who have problems in the bedroom. So I guess when they're watching a porn, you know, and the guy's getting it on and the porn goes on for like 25 minutes, yeah. you know, and you don't see the edits, but it looks like the guy's got the heart on the whole time. <laughs> He's like, whoa, I've got penis envy, man. I wish I could do that. So... In a nutshell, it's a person's predisposition for wishing for a penis or a form of penis that they would prefer. It sounds pretty simple, right? But it's not. There's more to penis envy than just wanting a penis. This is a subject that has been discussed for decades by the most renowned scholars, and one of them is someone that most people know very well, Sigmund Freud. So penis envy is a stage theorized by Freud regarding female psychosexual development in which young girls experience anxiety upon realization that they don't have a penis. So they wake up one day and they're like, hey, my brother has a penis and I don't. And they don't know what's going on. So Freud considered this and he said the realization is a defining moment in a series of transitions towards a mature female sexuality and gender identity. In Freudian theory, the penis envy stage begins the transition from an attachment to the mother to competition with the mother for the attention, recognition, and affection of the father. I know it gets quite complicated, right? The parallel reaction of a boy's realization that women do not have a penis is called castration anxiety. So, now, do you have any siblings? I can't mm -hmm, remember. Yeah. Do you have a sister? Yeah. Okay, so did one day you wake up and you realize that your sister didn't have a penis and you had castration anxiety? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a complicated human. You aren't. You didn't look at her and go, whoa, no penis, what the fuck? Feminists argue that Freud's developmental theory is heteronormative and denies women a mature sexuality independent of men for the privileging the vagina over the clitoris as a center of women's sexuality. Freud's sociosexual theory has additionally come under criticism from feminists for privileging heterosexual sexual activity and the penile penetration in defining women's mature state of sexuality. I like the penile penetration word. 
<laughs> Countercritics have responded that feminists misunderstand penis envy, which was not intended by Freud to refer literally to the envy of the male physical penis, but to be understood as an abstract, evolving force in psychosexual development. Penis envy is theorized as a discrete event and reoccurring force in psychosexual development, not as envy of the penis, but is sometimes used inexactly in contemporary culture to refer to women who are presumed to wish they were men. In other words, it is simply the female realizing that the male of the house or older brother seems to have more privileges or attention than the female counterpart, which, since the feminist movement, is slowly changing, which is a good thing. There have been times I wish I had a penis. <laughs> But you know, fingers, I'd rather call it a cock. I don't know. The word penis is weird to me. If I had a pussy, I wouldn't stop playing with it. <laughs> Or brass, right? You'd be, we'd be like, where's fingers? Oh, he's, he's at home. He's not coming out. I saw somebody's post on Facebook today where to find the best beasts. Oh. And I, the way my eyes see it is where to find the best breasts. Oh my God, because you're so male, of course. You, and you're like, where? And you're trying to Google it. <laughs> Fourth Street, all right, I'm there. So, as I said, there are times I wish I had a cock just to feel the power of pushing it deep inside someone with my big 10 inch here on Pacific Northwest Radio. I was once working with this fat guy and he said, um, He had a small dick or something, but he said he had 150 pounds of ass to push it home with. So. Oh, God, really? <laughs> wow. Let's play some Aerosmith. Got me strange one more. Believe me, this chick's no sin. But I really get her going. And I give out my big 10 inch. Red band of plays the blues. Well, band of plays the blues. She just loved my big ten inch Record of a favorite blue Don't go to nothing Sit on my big 
Warning, explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Lyric back, slip into the fray. That was Aerosmith, if you just turned in. Oh yeah, Steven Tyler. I bet he's got a big 10-inch. <laughs> so tonight we're chatting about three of the seven deadly sins Envy started the show. And let's open up the next topic, which is sloth. So the word sloth is a translation of the Latin term acidia and means without care. Spiritually first referred to an affliction attending religious persons, especially monks, wherein they became indifferent to their duties and obligations to God. Mentally, acedia has a number of distinctive components, of which the most important is affectlessness, a lack of any feeling about self or other, a mind state that gives rise to boredom, apathy, and a passive, inert, or sluggish mentation. Physically, acedia is fundamentally associated with a cessation of motion and an indifference to work. It finds expressions in laziness, idleness, and indolence. Sloth has also been defined as a failure to do things that one should do. By this definition, evil exists when good people fail to act. Unlike the other capital sins, which are sins of committing immorality, sloth is a sin of omitting responsibilities. It may arise from any of the other capital vices. For example, a son may omit his duty to his father through anger. While the state and habit of sloth is a mortal sin, the habit of the soul tending towards the last mortal state of sloth is not mortal in and of itself except under certain circumstances. Emotionally and cognitively, the evil of acedia finds expression in a lack of any feeling for the world or people in it or for the self. Sloth not only subverts the livelihood of the body, taking no care for its day-to-day provisions, but also slows down the mind, halting its attention to matters of great importance. Thank you. 
Welcome back. This is Lyric. Hey, Fingers. Hey. How's it going? Good. Good. Is anybody feeling a little lazy tonight? I know I am. I'm not a fan of lazy. No, but I've been sick. I've been sick the last two weeks, so kind of going like crazy. And, you know, when I get to bed, I fall in, but I can't sleep because of all the shit I have to take care of. It keeps swimming around in my head. It makes me fucking crazy. You guys feeling me, right? You know, I never have time to be lazy, and I actually I don't really like lazy people either. Um, and you know, when I have downtime, I actually feel guilty. That's pretty fucked up, right? I can't even, you know, take a few seconds out for myself because I'm thinking all this stuff that I have to take care of. So, I guess I'm not guilty of this sin, like I am some of the others. 
So lazy, you just stay in bed. Lazy, you just stay in bed. You don't want no money. You don't want no bread. Lazy is a song by Deep Purple from their 1972 album Machine Head. The song starts out as an instrumental. Keyboardist John Lord plays an overdriven Hammond organ intro, followed by the main riff, and with the solo swapping between him and guitarist Richie Blackmore. Vocalist Ian Gillian comes in with the vocals later in the song. He also uses harmonica both on the studio version and live. At over seven minutes long is the longest track on the album, and live versions were often extended past ten minutes. That's crazy. It's not a single, obviously, but it did get lots of radio play. Nice. Back in the good old FM days, right? Yeah. So, Fingers, have you seen the movie Seven? No. Oh my God, it's so good. So, in an unnamed American city, soon-to-be-retiring detective William Somerset is partnered with short-tempered but idealistic David Mills, who's actually Brad Pitt, yummy Brad Pitt, (laughs) who recently transferred to the department, moving to the city with his wife, Tracy. Mills introduces Somerset to Tracy, after which Somerset becomes her confidant. Tracy is unhappy with the city and feels it's no place to raise a child. And she discloses to Somerset that she's pregnant and has yet to inform her husband. Somerset sympathizes with her, having a similar situation with his ex-girlfriend many years earlier and advises her to tell Mills only if she plans on keeping the child. Somerset and Mills investigate a pair of murders. Now the first murder is an obese man forced to eat until his stomach ruptures open. The second was a wealthy defense attorney who died from both fatal bloodletting and the removal of a pound of flesh. At each crime scene, the murderer leaves behind clues for the detectives, including a single word, gluttony at the obese man's home, greed at the attorney's office. Somerset recognizes them as part of the seven deadly sins and realizes the murders are related. Other clues lead them to a possible perpetrator's apartment. There they find another victim, a known drug dealer and a child molester strapped to a bed, barely alive and emaciated, with a series of pictures indicating he had been tied to the bed for a whole year. (laughs) Crazy? The word sloth is scrawled on the wall. The photos also indicate the killer had been planning these deaths for some time. It's an intense movie, and if you haven't seen it, I recommend watching it. So, time for some emails. So, first one is, Lyric, can you do a show on sexy food? That would be kind of fun, and I'll leave it to your imagination. XOXO Dennis. Kind of interesting. And I I say to him, Dear Dennis, I'd love to show you my banana escapades. (laughs) Thomas writes in, I wish that you could be on every night of the week. For real. Thursday doesn't come fast enough. Aw, thanks, Thomas. You never know what's going to happen in the future, but for now, it's all good. But do me a favor and let your friends know so they can tell two friends and they can tell two friends and so on and so on. Because we want to spread the word about the show. Bev writes in, There used to be a show quite a few years ago called The Sunday Night Sex Show. Not sure if you know about it, but want to tell you that Slip Into The Fray is way cooler than that. Thank you for putting it out there and for playing really great music and making me blush. Was that the one that was on Z95? I, I don't even know. I don't think I ever... I With don't know Rona if I was Roskin? Oh, maybe. Rona. <laughs> 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 we'll have to Google it. I'm not sure. She was 
cool. Was she? Yeah, yeah. not as cool as you. But of course, cool. yay! Thanks, fingers. And I say to my girl that just wrote in, Bev, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And yes, I'm pretty fortunate to be able to express myself on this show. Um, fingers doesn't edit me too much, and uh, and also fingers, thank you for for giving me this opportunity because it's so much fun and love doing the show. And, and so we'll uh, we'll see where it goes. People are really digging the programming on this station, and if you haven't checked it out yet, check out the other shows, because Pacific Northwest Radio has a lot going on. There's something for everybody up here. So, Fingers, do you know what time it is? It's quiz time! It's quiz time! So, last week we did a seven deadly sin quiz, and this week it's which deadly sin are you? Are you ready? So head to our Facebook page right now, which uh, you can find at Pacific Northwest Radio, and play along with us. So which of the seven deadly sins are you? It's um, basically once you get on there, it's on a scale of one to seven, one being strongly disagree and seven being strongly agree. Um, so the first is, life is a breeze. Oh, hey, you there. Do you want to join me? I won't really care either way. So if you look around anywhere in your household, you will see at least two bags of junk food and a bottle of soda. So if you strongly agree or you strongly disagree. I'm looking around the studio right now to see if I can see any junk food and soda. <laughs> All right. When you love someone, it's very important for them to commit to you and only to you. So, you can put what you want in there. Next up, um, when you love someone, it's very important for them to give you physical confirmation when they love you back. Next one is, you believe that you are far superior than others, and when someone insults you, you believe that they are only envious of your perfection. You believe that no one should be resourceful and frugal because of the fact that you should be the one and only person who should be doing that. Right, so you believe that if anyone is not apologizing you for every mistake, you will definitely get revenge on them. All right, next up, which of these combination of animals do you feel the most connection to? So there's frog, snake, bird, pig, alligator, mice, crab, dog, squirrel, bat, goat, Greenland shark. What is a Greenland shark? I don't even know. I don't know. Wow. Bear, uh, wolf, leopard, horse, swan, cat, cow, monkey, dolphin. Jesus. <laughs> you got to pick one. Well, I don't see how anybody could. Okay. So you should be coming to the next page. And so what, what is your sin? Um, mammon greed. Okay. So mine is the sin of Lucifer, vanity. It says, I'm beautiful, you think to yourself on a daily basis, as the personification of perfection. Your color is the magical and mysterious violet of <laughs> beauty and grace. 
people oh so foolishly believe that you strive to be the best, but oh no, you don't do that because working your butt off is for peasants, and besides, you are already the best. You are a perfection. But will your pride become your ultimate downfall, just like your guardian demon prince Lucifer? How far are you willing to go just to prove those foolish humans are wrong, that you are superior, that they are inferior? I don't feel like that. <laughs> but, you know, that's it's got to be real. You got to believe all this shit, right? So that was fun, and I guess I'm going to hell. I'm just a human being. But at least my friends are going to be there too, right? So a little ACDC perhaps to serenade us on the way to hell?
Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Yes. We're back. Lyric here on Slippin' of the Fray, chatting about the deadly sins if you're just tuning in right now. Thanks for joining us, you sexy peeps. I'm going back to Sin City. Have you ever been to Vegas, Fingers? I like Vegas. I know. And you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Yeah. Do you know that? Do you have any Vegas stories to tell me? No. <laughs> Sin City isn't just Vegas, you know, it's any urban area, a city or part of, that caters to various vices. And these vices may be legal, depending on the area, or illegal activities which are tolerated. Now, Powerage is ACDC's fourth internationally released studio album and the fifth to be released in Australia. Sin City, which the band would perform frequently in concert, explores the seductive charms and dangers of Las Vegas. Now, examples of vices include sex-related services, going back to, you know, Sin City kind of as a general statement, um, which are like prostitution, strip clubs, sex shops, etc., gambling, casinos, betting shops, uh, drug use, alcohol, marijuana, etc., consumption, and even excessive organized crime and gang activity. If the city is known for prostitution, it's called a red-light district, as in Amsterdam, which is a super fun city. Have you ever been to Amsterdam? No. Oh, you have to go. Oh my God, it's so fun. I love the girls in the windows. They're just naked and ready to go. Neat. (laughs) (laughs) So time for a musical interlude. So please stay tuned to the rest of our show while we explore wrath. But right now, let's set that up with Burn here on Pacific Northwest Radio.
<laughs> I know, that's crazy, eh? Welcome back. You're listening to Slippin' of the Fray, Deadly Sins. I'm Lyric from the Vancouver band Head. I just love throwing that in once in a while. Check out my music at headmusic.ca when you have some time. And tonight we're chatting about wrath as the last deadly sin. And I think we should set that up with a rant. One, two, one, two, ready, up. You know what really sucks? What? Is these garbage trucks that cruise around at 6 a.m. It's crazy. What's with them? They sound like a Formula One car coming down the street, and they're only moving one mile an hour. I know, and why at that early time? Do they need that big of a motor to haul some trash to the dump? (laughs) Isn't there something a little greener or quieter? Well, I don't know, but... You know, I mean, what are they going to do? They can't do it later because there's probably too much traffic on the road. I don't understand the gear ratio of those things. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't understand the technology of these two little forks that go in these two great big holes. (laughs) Clunk, 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 clack, clack, clack. Kaboom! Kaboom. There's got to be some gentler shocks or springs or some technology that exists that you would think so but think of it this way too those guys have to smell that shit all day long so if i was one of those guys i would want something that made a lot of noise i'd be like yeah motherfucker get rid of the garbage i could get used to the smell but i couldn't get used to that noise (laughs) damn it (laughs) rent of the week something inside of me has opened its eyes why did you put it there Why didn't you realize this thing inside of me, it screams the loudest sound. Sometimes I think I could. I'm going to burn this whole world down. I never was a part of you. Burn. Burn is a promotional single by Nine Inch Nails released from the Natural Born Killer soundtrack, which is a really good show if you haven't seen it. And because this is a promo-only single, it has never been featured with its own official Halo. And it's funny because when I um, wondered what Halo was, I guess Nine Inch Nails on every album they put out, there'll be like one Halo, two Halo, three Halo, like they'll actually have a number beside the halo Mm. so that's kind of interesting um so it was included as a bonus track on the 10th anniversary deluxe edition of the downward spiral and it also has its own video directed by hank corwin and trent reznor so as i was saying each official nine inch nails releases chronologically ordered with a sequential number prefaced by the word halo which is i think that's a really cool idea So the tone and structure in Burn are similar to Closer to God. The verse and chorus sections of the song are mediated by a fast, guitar-driven bridge that occurs in both the middle and at the end of the song. And both the verses and choruses are sung through a vocal distortion effect. The drum loops at the end fade out, allowing the layers of noisy, distorted guitar to repeat until suddenly cutting off. So it's quite intense at the end. You know, a lot of uh, Reznor's stuff is like that. The music video was co-directed by Hank Cohen, as I said, and Reznor, and the video features Reznor performing in front of a projection screen, displaying in a montage of stock footage and um, footage from the Natural Born Killers film as the picture provided, which was really cool. If you, you probably haven't seen that video either, but you should check it out. The stock footage and rear projection techniques used in the video are similar to the ones employed in much of the film. Casper Toth contributed a detailed reading of the video in his article, Like Cancer in the System, Industrial Goth, Nine Inch Nails, and Videotape. 
In the elliptic time frame of music video narratives, Nine Inch Nails burn forms a commentary on the social state of things. As the montage progress, it establishes complicated visual links between world historical events and specifically American developments. We see a fascist march in Italy, portrait of Hitler, two times, uh, concentration camp victims, tanks rolling over trenches, closer to home a suburban mansion with absolutely no trespassing sign in front of the eerily lifeless almost gothic edifice, 1950s street signs and uh, scenes and family photographs, a beer sale sign, the American flag and a church. These historical images are juxtaposed in an increasingly frantic pace with scenes of family life and especially family violence in America. So a young boy violated by his father and a young girl sexually abused by hers. Toward the end, vampires loom over their contemporary wasteland. Trent's anger turns me on. <laughs> so angry. <gasps> so angry. We all know what anger is and we've all felt it, right? fingers obviously we you know with your rant this is kind of a perfect thing for you so i'm going to give you some information about anger i was actually going to get a case of tomatoes that i can throw at people <laughs> from up here on the balcony would you throw them at the truck drivers yes wow yeah and there's another freaking truck that comes to suck grease <laughs> out of the restaurant the grease sucker truck yeah it actually shakes the building while it idles for half an hour there. Grease truck. Oh, my God. So anger is completely normal, just so you know. It's usually healthy. It's a healthy human emotion. But when it gets out of control, it turns destructive and it can lead to problems, right? Yeah. Problems at work, in your personal relationships, and in the overall quality of your life. And it can make you feel as though you're at the mercy of an unpredictable and powerful emotion. So three types of anger are recognized by psychologists. Hasty and sudden anger by Joseph Butler, an 18th century English bishop, is connected to the impulse for self-preservation. It is shared both between human and non-human animals, and it occurs when the animal is tormented or trapped. This form of anger is episodic. Settled and deliberate anger is a reaction to perceived deliberate harm or unfair treatment by others. This form of anger is episodic. Dispositional anger is related more to character traits than to instincts or cognitions. Irritability, sullenness, and churlishness are examples of this last form of anger. Now, do you need anger management? <laughs> no. No. So the goal of anger management is to reduce both your emotional feelings and the physiological arousal that anger creates. Are you too angry? There are psychological tests that measure the intensity of angry feelings, how prone to anger you are, and how well you handle it. But chances are good that if you do not have a problem with anger, you already know that. If you find yourself acting in ways that seem out of control and frightening, you might need help finding better ways to deal with this emotion. Why are some people more angry than others? According to Jerry Deffenbacher, PhD, a psychologist who specializes in anger management, some people really are more hot-headed than others. They get angry more easily and more intensely than the average person does. There are also those who don't show their anger in loud, spectacular ways, but are chronically irritable and grumpy. Easily angered people don't always curse and throw things. Sometimes they withdraw socially, they sulk, or they get physically ill. Just right behind you, there's like holes in the floor where I threw myself. <laughs> oh my God, there are. Yeah. And you smashed, we talked about you smashing a computer <laughs> on one of the other shows, right? Yeah. Anger. 
So people who are easily angered generally have what some psychologists call a low tolerance for frustration, meaning simply that they feel that they should not have to be subjected to frustration, inconvenience, or annoyance. They can't take things in stride, and they're particularly infuriated if the situation seems unjust, for example, being corrected for a minor mistake. What makes these people this way? A number of things, one cause, may be genetic or physiological. There's evidence that some children are born irritable, touchy, and easily angered, and that these signs are present from a very early age. Another baby, sociocultural. Anger is often regarded as negative, and we're taught that it's all right to express anxiety, depression, or other emotions, but not to express anger. As a result, we don't learn how to handle it or channel it constructively. Research has also found that family background plays a huge role. Typically, people who are easily angered come from families that are disruptive, chaotic, and not skilled at emotional communications. It is good to let it all hang out. Psychologists now say that this is a dangerous myth. Some people use this theory as a license to hurt others. Research has found that letting it rip with anger actually escalates anger and aggression and does nothing to help you or the person you're angry with resolve the situation. It's best to find out what it triggers, you know, and then develop strategies to keep those triggers from tipping you over the edge. Relaxation. Find some simple relaxation tools, such as deep breathing, relaxing imagery. It can actually help you calm down. Cognitive restructuring. Simply put, this means changing the way you think. So angry people tend to curse, swear, or speak in highly colorful terms that reflect their inner thoughts. When you're angry, you're thinking you can get very exaggerated and overly dramatic. Try replacing these thoughts with more rational ones, for instance, instead of telling yourself, oh, it's awful, it's terrible, everything's ruined. Tell yourself it's frustrating, but it's understandable that I'm upset about this, but it's not the end of the world and getting angry is not going to fix it. Be careful of words like never or always when talking about yourself or someone else. You know, this fucking machine never works or you're always forgetting things or not just accurate. They're also to serve to make you feel that your anger is justified and there's no way to solve the problem. They also alienate and humiliate people who might otherwise be willing to work with you on a solution. Remind yourself that getting angry is not going to fix anything and it won't make you feel better. And it actually probably, in the long run, makes you feel worse. Probably. Yeah. So logic actually defeats anger because anger, even when justified, can quickly become irrational. So use cold, hard logic on yourself. Remind yourself that the world is not out to get you. You're just experiencing some of the rough spots of daily life. Do this each time you feel anger getting the best of you, and it'll help you get a more balanced perspective. Angry people tend to demand things, fairness, appreciation, agreement, willingness to do things their way. Everyone wants these things, and we are all hurt and disappointed when we don't get them. But angry people demand them, and when their demands aren't met, their disappointment becomes anger. As part of their cognitive restructuring, angry people need to become aware of their demanding nature and translate their expectations into desires. In other words, saying, I would like something is healthier than saying, I demand or I must have something. When you're unable to get what you want, you will experience the normal reactions, frustration, disappointment, hurt, but not anger. 
problem solving. So sometimes our anger and frustration are caused by very real and inescapable problems in our lives. Not all anger is misplaced and often in a healthy natural response to these difficulties. There is also a cultural belief that every problem has a solution and it adds to our frustration to find out that there isn't always the case for that. The best attitude to bring to such a situation then is not to focus on finding the solution, but rather on how you handle and face the problem. So make a plan and check your progress along the way. Resolve to give it your best, but also not to punish yourself if an answer doesn't come right away. If you can approach it with your best intentions and efforts and make a serious attempt to face it head on, you will be less likely to lose patience and fall into all or nothing thinking even if the problem does not get solved right away better communication. Angry people tend to jump in or act on conclusions, and some of those conclusions can be very inaccurate. The first thing to do if you're in a heated discussion is slow down and think through your response. Don't say the first thing that comes out of your head, right? Well, actually, that comes out of your mouth. (laughs) But slow down and think carefully about what you want to say. Don't just blurt it out. And at the same time, listen carefully to what the other person is saying and take your time before answering. For instance, you like a certain amount of your freedom and personal space and your, say your significant other wants more connection and closeness. So if he or she starts complaining about your activities, don't retaliate by painting your partner as a jailer, a warden, or an albatross around your neck. It's natural to get defensive, but when you're criticized, don't fight back. Instead, listen to what the underlying words are. The message that this person might feel is that they're neglected and unloved. It may take a lot of patience questioning on your part, and it may require some breathing space, but don't let your anger or a partner's let a discussion spin out of control. Keeping your cool can keep the situation from becoming a disastrous one. Now, the other thing you can do is you can use humor. Silly humor can help diffuse rage in a number of ways. For one thing, it can help you get a more balanced perspective. When you get angry and call someone a name or refer to somebody in in some kind of imaginative phrase, stop and picture what that word would actually look like. So if you're at work and you think of a coworker as a dirtbag or a single cell life form. I know you are, but what am I? (laughs) These are just a few examples. So picture a large bag of dirt, you know, or and, and some kind of weird bug sitting at your colleague's desk talking on the phone, going to meetings. Do this whenever a name comes into your head about another person so you can draw a picture of what the actual thing might look like. And this will take a lot of edge off your fury. And humor can always be relied on to help untie, um, you know, a big tense situation. The underlying message of highly angry people, Dr. Deffenbacher says, is things ought to go my way. Angry people tend to feel that they are morally right, that any blocking or changing of their plan is an unbearable indignity, and that they should not have to suffer this way. Maybe other people do, but not them. So when you feel that urge, he suggests, picture yourself as a god or a goddess, a supreme ruler who owns the streets and stores and office space, striding alone and having your way in all situations while others defer to you. The more detail you can get into your scenes, the more chances you have to realize that maybe you are being unreasonable. You'll also realize how unimportant the things you're angry about really are. There are two cautions in using humor, though. First, don't try just to laugh off your problems. Rather, use humor to help yourself face them more constructively. And second, don't give in to harsh, sarcastic humor. That's just another form of unhealthy anger expression. 
changing your environment. So sometimes it's our immediate surroundings that give us cause for irritation and fury. So for you, with the trucks and everything, but you can't do anything about it. You're in the studio. Tomatoes will help you. Right. So problems and responsibilities can weigh on you and make you feel angry at the trap you seem to have fallen into and all the people and things that form that trap. Give yourself a break. Make sure you have some personal time scheduled for times off that day that you know are particularly stressful. One example is the working mother who has a standing rule that when she comes home from work for the first 15 minutes, nobody talks to mom unless the house is on fire. That's ridiculous, but some people do that. I know. After this brief quiet time, she feels quite prepared to handle demands from her kids without blowing up at them. So I I don't like that at all. And I got to tell you about my ex who's now passed away, which is sad. But um, this is quite a few years ago. I could not talk to this man until noon. I wasn't allowed to. He was. He woke up so miserable. And so I knew I had to tiptoe on broken glass until noon, until he had at least two coffees before I could actually have a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. So that's that's never a good thing. If it happened now, I would be like totally gone. But yeah, I was really young. And, yeah. you know, because of my past history with my fucked up family, you think that that's kind of normal behavior, you know, and so you, you go along with that. Some other tips for easing up on yourself. Timing. So if you and your spouse, let's for example, tend to fight when you discuss things at night, perhaps you're tired or distracted or maybe it's just a habit. Or Try tr- changing the times. Or drunk. <laughs> or try if you're drunk. Oh my God. Oh my God, don't even get me started on the alcohol. Avoidance. So if your child's chaotic room makes you furious, every time you walk by it, shut the door. Don't make yourself look at what infuriates you. Don't say, well, my child should clean up the room so I won't have to be angry. That's not the point. The point is keep yourself calm. Just shut the door. Finding alternatives. If your daily commute through traffic leaves you in a state of rage and frustration, give yourself a project. Learn or map out a different route, one that's less congested or more scenic. Or find another alternative such as the bus or a commuter train. But you know what I like to do when I'm angry? Like when I'm really, really angry? Write a note. (laughs) They're like these yellow sticky notes. I write a note. But I actually like to fuck the anger away. Hmm. Fuck it away. Yeah. You're not going to be angry if you've if you've got like it going on. You're like all heated up and then the throws. Huh. So everyone, please take what I say with a grain of salt. I am not an expert. I don't claim to be. I comb the internet. I talk to people. I read. I'm just saying what I want to say and playing what I want to play. So thanks for listening to the show tonight, everyone. The deadly sins can be lots of fun or completely fucking ruin your life. I'm Lyric. Join me here every Thursday night on Pacific Northwest Radio at 9 p.m. Pacific time. You can write me at lyric underscore j at shaw.ca or send me a message on our Pacific Northwest Facebook page. And remember to get out there, have fun, live life to the fullest, and get laid. Life is so fucking short. Live it up, babies. Live it. Until next Thursday night, peace out.